Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Cartridge Club, where we discuss our game of the month with the members of the Cartridge Club community. If you played along, you can always share your own experiences in the forums at cartridgeclub.org, in our community's Discord, or across social media by using the hashtag PlayAlongWithPrime. My name is Josh, also known as Frantic, and I'm one of the hosts for this show. Here with me, we have Ryan, at It's Rocket Sauce, and Tim, at Are You Okay? And this month, we played the Hideo Kojima classic, Metal Gear Solid 3, Snake Eater. Metal Gear Solid 3 was published by Konami and originally released on the PlayStation 2 in 2004. The game is self-described as a tactical espionage action game, which basically means it's a stealth action title. The game is set in 1964, 30 years before the events of the original Metal Gear. The story centers on the Fox operative codenamed Naked Snake, also known as Big Boss in future titles as he attempts to rescue a Russian rocket scientist by the name of Nikolai Sokolov, sabotage an experimental superweapon called the Shagohod, and assassinate his defected former mentor, the Boss. Along the way, he must defeat all the members of the Cobra Unit, which are an elite group of soldiers brought together by the Boss to help defeat the Axis powers during World War II. Alright, so let's jump into the conversation. So Metal Gear Solid 3, everybody, is this your first time playing it? What's your history with the game and what's your overall impressions of the game? We'll start with Tim. Um, well, this is my second time playing Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater. Um, my first time around, I played it at launch. I think, what was it, 2004? Yes. We were just talking before the we went live here, 2004. Yeah, um, I remember going to get the game. I got a Zellers. I went, actually went to get it with my uh, co-host uh, co on uh, the channel, Are You Okay? The running joke being that that game was like 80 to $90 at launch. Like, that was an expensive-ass game at launch. And then he ended up getting Dragon Ball Budokai 3, which was 40 bucks, which also came out apparently the same day. Yeah, that time around, it was fun i had a good time with it played it on a 14 inch tv probably didn't get the full experience of it yeah pretty much played it once and forgot about it i i've been i actually originally planned to go back and play this game about six months ago and i think mm -hmm. it was around then that you guys announced it as the uh, cartridge club game of the month and not too long after that one of you guys reached out to me or both of you guys reached out to me yeah to come on for this so i'm like okay i'll, I'll save it so i've had this game kind of on the brain for like the last six months but this time around, I played it on the HD version. Yeah, I think we saw a tweet of yours that you said that you wanted to play. And I was like, hold up. Wait a minute. I got an idea here for a guest. So let's put some Metal Gear in it. OK, that's right. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, I was like, OK, we'll, we'll put this one on pause. Um, but, you know, it's great because in between that time, uh, that was enough time for the Metal Gear uh, HD collection for two and three to come up on Xbox Game Pass. Yeah. So, yeah perfectly planned like we yeah. like we always do here yeah well i mean i was originally going to play it on the ps3 one uh the one that comes with peace walker mm -hmm. um but i'm really glad that happened because i already had the xbox set up it was way easier yeah i mean i will get into it but oh my god it, playing that game in hd is so it was so different from playing it on like the little 14 inch tv i used to have on the uh my bedroom little 14 inch CRT tv that's a really good port job i thought um and I was surprised to see it was Blue Point Games because, like, you know, they're all they made that Shadow of the Colossus remaster and all these things. At least the Xbox version is Blue Point Games. 
other than that, so yeah, it looked really good on on my TV as well. Ryan, what's your general impression of the game? You know, have you played it before? You know, all that yeah. stuff. Yeah, I, I've played this game multiple times. The thing about this game, though, there's uh, in probably almost any Metal Gear game is probably no matter how many times I play it, there's always something new I pick up every time I play the game. Something I always miss or went over my head or a story point that I completely miss. And that's always, always like, especially when there is a new Metal Gear game, kind of always like reliving the series and catching up little points that, oh, I didn't know this connects with this here and there. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, like um, after playing playing it this time through, I want to say this is probably my fifth time beating this game. This is game's definitely in my top ten games of all time. I, I absolutely love this game. It's my favorite in, favorite in the series. I will say that uh, I mean most people know me as the N sixty four guy. So the first game did miss me when it originally came out because I just wasn't going to get anything on the PlayStation. But I got a PS two, and I have one of my friends in uh, high school, still a friend to this day. He was a huge fan of the series, and I remember the praise. For Metal Gear Solid 2 when it came out. It was highly regarded, highly critically acclaimed. So I rented it from a blockbuster and I fell in love with the series. Made me go back, rent Metal Gear Solid 1, play that. Still was kind of a little rough around the edges going back from Metal Gear Solid 2 to 1. But 2 made me a fan of the series where I'm like, okay, that was cool. And then when the third game came out, I believe I got it for Christmas that year in 2004. So I remember, I think, playing it around, whatever, shortly after Christmas. And I was even taken back even more. Where After that, I knew whatever franchise Metal Gear was going to be on, it was a console seller for me. Where the next Metal Gear game is on PS3 or Xbox, I'm buying it. Because I need to play the next game of the franchise after playing 3. And uh, there's just so many like little things you can talk about this game that... Uh, I just absolutely love. So uh, it's like I said, it's one of my favorite games of all time. Okay, so a little history for me personally is I played this game. I've been trying to like nail it down in my head because I've known I played it two times before. But since it came out in 2004, I feel like I played it a couple years after that. So like tw- 2006 or so. I remember liking the game, but I I was in high school and a lot of like the story beats went over my head at the time, and I you know I just. I, I kind of understood what was going on, but it was Cold War, and I, I I didn't really care about history that much, you know. And I uh, played it again. I must have been like a few years ago on the PS3, and I didn't actually beat it 100% that time. I remember fighting Volgan, which is one of the boss fights near the end. That was like the last time I played that game. It's because I have a save on my PS3, which is actually right there. That leaves off right there. So... I went ahead and played it like Tim did on the Xbox because of Game Pass, which I love Game Pass. It's been really awesome. And um, just downloaded it and hopped on there and started over fresh and played it all over again. And just this this is one of those games that it leaves a lasting impression for me. I'll go back and just think about it. You know, I'll just be doing something else. and I'll think about it or I compare other games to that game a lot. And um, I'm not sure it's hard for me to rank the Metal Gear series, but I, I feel like it's it's close to the top. Like I, I have a really huge fondness for four personally, but it's like, you need to play the other ones to have that fondness, you know, to, to love it as much. And four like blew me away at the time. So I feel like that one just had a bigger impact on me, but I, I absolutely love Metal Gear Solid three. It's, it's highly rated personally. 
A lot of people say that Kojima has his own house style. Like, he puts his name on every game. This is a Metal um, uh, Hideo Kojima game, like even Death Stranding, which just came out. How do you guys personally feel about, like, the Hideo Kojima flair and style of game? Like, what do we feel about, like, Kojima's style in general and, like, him putting his name on his games? Here's the thing. One of my favorite horror directors growing up was John Carpenter. And John Carpenter put his name on everything he did. And in that respect, it's kind of hard to, like, look at a guy who, like, you know, puts together a game like Metal Gear. It's like, you know what? You want to put your name on it? Fine. You know, and, and the guy's crafted an image and kind of a brand for himself, too, in that respect. And, and personally, I'm a fan of it. I like it. I like how weird and kind of, like, serious, but at the same time, ultra comical so much of his material is. Yeah. Like, God, the original, like, what was it? The original Metal Gear game uh, on the MXX had a, ga- had a boss just called the Shotgunner. That was his thing. He had a shotgun. Yeah, that was his whole shtick. You know, or you know, like crazy, crazy, like monstrous shamans riding tanks that control like crows and shit. But there's also like this ultra deep political storyline with actual roots to it. And I've loved it for that. Like the thing is, I don't know. Outside of Zone of the Enders, right? And I guess now Death Stranding. I haven't really played any of his other stuff. Like, I know he did, like, Snatcher and Police Knots, and I, I love the aesthetic of that, but I, I've never got to play the game. Yeah. Um, speaking of when it comes to the style, the one thing about it that I always like is there's always, like, a uniqueness to his games, too. Even the Metal Gears that make themselves differently. While looking into, I guess, more research about Metal Gear here and more into Kojima, I guess so, um, he had a game for the Game Boy Advance called Bokutai, and I believe... It's one of those games that has like an odd shaped cartridge for the Game Boy Advance. And I believe it has one of those like LED like sunlight boards, kind of like a calculator built into it. Uh, and I believe there's a boss fight in the game with a vampire. Or if you take the game actually like outside and play it outside with sunlight, it weakens the boss. Basically, like it completely it's like it's a little I, I don't know. It's pretty neat, I think, with um little twists like that is what I think is neat. And. Essentially, like stuff like that carries over into his boss fights into this game, and I shouldn't say that, but how they all have like uniqueness yeah. to to them. Um, and I, are you fine with me getting into the boss talk here? Yeah, that's fine. Josh? Let's do it, man. Because uh, yeah. I want to, I want to bring up the end here because the end is maybe one of my favorite boss fights of all time. Uh, and aside from Josh, you told me that you took him out. Uh, you have at least a play save of it or something where you killed him instantly. You didn't yeah. even get into the fight. You just took him out immediately, which I was not aware of. Do you there's, want to talk about that here a little yeah, bit? Yeah, there's there's what the end <clears throat> the end he's what he has like a photosynthesis suit on, so he's basically dead and you have to fight him like a sniper battle. Um there's a scene before you even get to him. This is like three bosses before him. And then like you like, they wheel him out onto the dock, you know, and they're all talking around him. There's like a cutscene. After that cutscene, you can see him get wheeled back inside of the building. If you're fast enough and you pull out a gun fast enough, you can snipe him in the head right there, and you don't even have to fight him. Which yeah. it's crazy. Yeah, I, tried, like, oh, I tried that like ten times and I could not do it. It was I, I remember doing it when I played it on PS3, but it's like it like I said, I made a save, like I knew where it was, and I made a save there, and I just kept loading it until I did it, just because you know I wanted to do it just to see if I could. So I'm sure it's an achievement for that, too, or something. But, you know, uh, one thing I can point out, too, is I wasn't aware of it until years after playing it that you can beat the end by, um, I guess you could fast forward the clock in the game. But it's essentially as if you save the game and you come back a week later, he's he dies of old age. Because 
story point wise, I think he's essentially he's on the verge of death, but he's like essentially saving this last fight. You know, that you're going to be his last fight before he passes on because mm-hmm. uh, he's this legendary sniper. But I do not recommend doing that just for the fact that, like I said, I think it's one of the most rewarding, fun boss fights ever. And <laughs> I can I can I can even remember to the first time playing it because you're equipped. If you look in your like, I think your backpack on the select menu, there is one of those little satellite dishes that pick and pick up sounds. It's like a little portable one that you hold in your hand. So I want to say the first time I fought him, I had like an hour and a half fight. And it was just, it was because it was just me crawling around the entire desert, trying not to get sniped. It was just me like, you know, it's like a sniper fight where he's trying to find you and you're trying to find him. So you're going around, maybe climbing the trees, just using a little dish, looking to pick up his sound. And then, you know, sometimes you can find him being a, falling asleep or his little parrot makes a noise, uh, gives away his location. And that's when you can, you know, sn- uh, take a snipe shot at him. It's it's it was one of the most fun fights I've ever had in my life. Even now playing it, you know, I find it still fun to do. And this time, granted, I I kind of know what I'm doing now. So I, it's not going to take an hour and a half for me to do. I can I think I generally beat it within five to ten minutes because. It's it's not that hard when you know what you're doing, but like upon first time playing it, it was just, I guess, mind blowing for me. So, and that's very much his style. Tying that back up, it ties. There's, I've never experienced anything like that in a game prior, or even probably since to this day, something like that. Yeah, uh, there there's a quote, an old quote from Kojima, where he said that his ideal video game is him uh, making a game where if he died, the cartridge would just stop working or catch on fire or you know just stop working he he's one of those people that he has an idea and you know a lot of times you'll have an idea oh that'd be cool if i did that he does it i feel like a lot of times Mm -hmm. which is pretty cool with his game design he does things that just in the metal gear game specifically that just nobody thinks of Mm -hmm. um it's the best way to put it like the weird thing, the thing that tripped me up, right, going through all the menu systems in that, um, you know, the curing, the uh, food, the camouflage, um, but in, in kind of bringing it back to the boss thing, how each of the boss fights kind of force you to adapt to that. Like, you know, bosses will injure you. You have to heal yourself quickly in the middle of a boss fight. Or, you know, like you were saying with the end, you kind of have to get better at camo if you want to be able to sneak up and catch the end. J- just things like that, right? I'm a fan that he. I, I love that he does that, but for just but also to retort with your answer about the uh, the uh, the end. Uh, I'm not gonna lie to you. I thought my boss fight with him this time would be different. I really did. Um, first time around, just devolved into a game of chasing him around with a machine gun. Basically, it's not elegant, but you know it cuts the fight down for maybe uh, an hour and a half to twenty minutes, half hour. This time, I really tried for the sniper battle. 20 minutes in, I just wasn't getting far, like, far enough. I had the thermal goggles, you know, I was trying to do the whole, you know, just wait them out. And Impatience took over, and, like, basically the game kind of devolved into a match of just chase the old bastard around with a shotgun until he just gave up. So, yeah, I didn't get his special armor. I don't know. Do either of you guys get it? How do you get it? Like, I don't even know how. You, you You apparently have to stick him up, like, two or three times, and he'll eventually give it to you. I can't say I have. It's every time I've played it. Generally, it's kind of I don't want to say the slow because I I kind of was like, all right, well I know he's going in that general direction, so I know he's not going to be in this area, so I can sprint to that area and then just play the crawl game until I I hear where he's at and then bam, you know, shoot and then same thing, 
keep repeating, repeating. But, you know, first time, different story. Well, for me, it was like he would hit me with a trank dart. And it's like, okay, just quickly go into the cure menu, you know, just use the knife, you know, get that needle out of you, go immediately back. And I'm like, okay, I know where he's at now because he just shot me and I'm not even hurt. So I just run up to him. I'll pump him, pump him with a shotgun blast, kind of try and get out of the way a little bit because, you know, he'll, as soon as he gets up, he'll try and like flash grenade you or something to get away. But you know, pretty much know where he's at. So then you just follow him until, until he goes to his next spot. Repeat. It is the least elegant way to fight the end. I am, I'm sure of it. Like you know, but um, it works. I mean, the, it the way I, the way I did it this specific time is just like, you know what? I'm just gonna run around until he shoots me, and then when he shoots me, I know where he is, and then I can snipe him. That's kind of exactly. how I, that's how I did it this time. So, yeah, it's like he he gives you all the chances in the world to figure out like you know how to, how he gives away his position because he just he doesn't really kill you. He just waits you out. Just going back to Kojima style, like a lot of his stuff is, I think he's a, a a giant fan of cinema. I mean, like Snake's character comes, the name Snake comes out of Snake Plissken from, uh, was it leaving? Um, escape from L.A. Es- escape from L.A. and escape from New oh, York. Oh, sorry, escape from New York. Escape from, yeah. well, escape from L.A. and escape from yeah, New York. Yeah, because he even in Metal Gear Solid 2 when Snake is, sorry, I don't want to tie this into Metal Gear Solid 2, but there's a part where he's going by the codename of Plissken in Metal Gear Solid 2. Uh, yeah. so very much, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. A, it's a little hard to not talk about the other games because they reference the other games like a lot, like the writing, uh, writing, right, writing maps, yep. maps that you have. That the scientist in the building, this like super hanger, looks just like Raiden from Number Two, and you have to like dress up, you know, put his mask on. That's pretty cool. Take take, take him out, then put the mask on. Yeah, true. Take him out. The the um fear fight. Uh, I don't know if you the first time I can recall doing that too is like. I, this time I didn't need it, but I, I kind of remember the first time where you need the thermal goggles, and it kind of almost felt like the Predator almost, because you're like lurking in the trees, running around, jumping between trees, the stuff like that. The Sorrow fight was great, too. That's another fight that's very much different from any other fight, where a few d- it, it all depends how many people you kill will show up in the pond. So, Ooh. like, if, if you kill nobody, yeah. if you kill nobody, I, I, so prior to this time, I accidentally killed I think three people because I was just trying to choke them out and accidentally slip their throats. But it was my goal to take out as least amount of people as possible because the, you know, granted you still have a certain amount of distance to walk, but the people that you kill up until that point will show up into this, this river as ghosts. And you know, it's kind they of, that's damage. Like, yeah, yeah. And they do damage. So if you kill nobody, you're going to, you're going to not see anybody except for the two bosses you killed, which were, you know, the fear, the end. And, um, Actually, I think all of them are at that point. I think the sorrow was after all those guys. Fury. So, yeah. yeah, the Fury. Yeah, Fury. Mm-hmm. So you'll see all the bosses you kill, but that's about it. But I just thought that's something that's really, really neat that's not thought of ever really in, in games either. So, yeah, I, I was definitely making a conscious decision uh, with the sorrow this time around uh, to not kill as many people like in the same boat for sure. Like because the first time I played that game, like my basic philosophy was, well, they can't sound an alarm if they're dead, so. Just kill as many people as you can, and then you get to that lake, and yeah. it's like people everywhere. Apparently, if you kill, like, if you wait for one of the vultures to kill one of the people, uh, to start eating one of the people soldiers you killed, mm-hmm. and then you kill and eat that vulture, he'll like when you see that soldier come by later in the sorrows element, he'll be like, "You fed on me." Ah, <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. 
Yeah, there's apparently a lot of them. Like, I didn't realize how many meta ways there were to fight the bosses in this game. Like, like the where apparently you can give the fear uh, rotten fruit. Hmm, really? Like, does he take damage from that, or what? Does he eat it, or? Well, like the whole idea is like you know, like when he uses his stealth camo, his stamina depletes faster. So I guess to a point where it, he loses it, and he has to like you know get fruit that's kind of like hanging in the trees and like eat that to revive himself. Just to revive stamina, or stamina, sorry. Um, but if you either shoot it and let it rot there for a while or leave rotten fruit in the ground and he picks that up instead, he'll eat the rotten fruit, he'll get like stunned, you can just like wail away on him. That's awesome. If we're going through the Easter eggs, I know there's one for the uh, Vulgan fight too. If you put on the Raiden mask when you first fight Vulgan, he won't attack you at first. Yeah, he questions it, right? He questions, he's like, I forgot because I, I, I assume... I don't want to say that Vulgan's gay because I, I I think Eve Eva Vulcan, points out that he's he's a he's a masculist or or he's a they just gets off on giving pain really right yeah well I I think the general term is can we swear on this podcast you can Vulgan fucks yeah it's really <laughs> that's what it is he gets around uh, that that's the gist of it. it I don't think Vulgan cares Vulgan just fucks mm-hmm. yeah. It, it, but that 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 character means something to him too, though, because he he questions it when you put on the fight. Like he's like, really, you know, kind of. He, he won't attack you until you start doing some like. I I like to do uh, the CQC against him. I thought that was way more fun because you can really get close to him. If you stay a further distance to try and fighting Vulcan, is when you're going to do damage. But if you can get near to him, you can just throw him to the ground, and then he takes damage, and then you could probably. Uh, I think I was shooting him when he's on the ground with like a shotgun or something. Oh yeah, just throw him to the ground, pump him once with the shotgun, and, mm-hmm. and then... you just rinse repeat. Mm-hmm. One thing I really found that worked really well for the bosses, though, um, you really got to stand your ground to do it. Um, you know the M sixty three, the light assault rifle. Mm-hmm. Yes, the one where he fires, one where he like screams when he's firing it off, like ah, yeah. Um, if you stand your ground, like with say, like someone like the Fury or um, even the boss, you will just erase their health bar. Um, I never tried it. That's cool. I tried it on my final fight with a boss, and wow, it was just like her health just went oof, half, maybe. Did she you call have, you a cheater or something like that? I and I'm only no, no, because um, because I yeah. I think I forgot what I no, did no. in one of these attempts to fighting the boss, which is the final butt fight in the game. I want to say I I tried using I don't know if I think I tried using the rocket launcher or something like that, and she said something like. Don't be cheap or something like that to me. It, <laughs> it, it, it was something seriously like that. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, I, I guess I won't pull this one out for the next time. Because I think she just sticked me and threw me to the ground. I can't remember exactly what it was, but she just said, really? You have no class or something like that to me. I, I'm amazed how little the RPG did in terms of boss fights, uh, at least from what I tried. Mm-hmm. Like, I got that right before the Fury, and I'm thinking, all right, I found like the RPG that's stashed away. This Fury boss fight's going to be so easy. <laughs> Barely took off anything. It was like a sliver of his health gone. I'm like, oh, this was a waste. I think the boss, the boss, boss fat battle uh, is probably the, my favorite boss battle in the game because there's so many ways you can go about doing it. Like, like you guys were saying, the way I decided to do this. So basically, the premise of it is, you know, she's your mentor and she defects to the Soviet Union, and you have to kill her. That's your mission like throughout the game. So you meet her at the end of the game in this flower field and you have to kill her. And she said, you know, she explains her backstory and she's like the first person to go to space and, you know, 
Kojima stuff, and um, <laughs> you <laughs> you fight her in this field. So I I was uh, I never when I was a kid like when I first played this um, I couldn't figure out how to beat her. Like I was like, what do I do? And then I figured out the CQC me- method where you just you know out CQC her basically. This time I decided I'm gonna try something different. I went ahead and put on the snow camo. And I was uh, around the perimeter and I took out the sniper and I kind of treated it like a sniper battle almost. So she'll go looking for you. And if you have a high camo, she can't see you. Right. So I pop up and I just snipe her two times. It'll knock her over and her health will go down and I'll just run to a different part of the map, lay down and then do it again. And I did that to beat her this time. And it was just something different. I wanted to try to see if it would work and it worked. So which is pretty cool. That's not bad. Yeah, you know, I think I, I want to say I, I know the first time I think I beat her, I beat her through a gunfight because I, I want to say I, I couldn't figure out CQC the first time I played this game, which stands for close quarters combat, but it's essentially it's a fighting method that the the boss uh, and uh, Snake developed for themselves. Basically, it's their style of fighting. This time through, because I think I tried shooting right away and it was not going easy for me, so I think I. I finally figured it out either this time or maybe the time prior that there would be like a little exclamation mark that goes above Snake's head. And if you just hold down circle, he basically, I believe you just throws her to the ground and then you can just kick her when she's on the ground. But the thing about that is, and maybe it's built like this way on purpose, that, you know, because they want you to get through the long dramatics of Snake Eater song while the fight's going on too. Uh, but but you're, you're, you're at a, up against a 10 minute window to do this. Because she called in an air raid to blow up the area. So I want to say it took me at least about 10 tries this time to do just the straight CQC fight. Because I kept on running out of time. I kept getting her health pretty low to the end. But I could just couldn't get her with the timer going off. And eventually it would always end with you know getting bombed. And it would say what? There's like time, a par- time paradox or something time like paradox. that? Yeah, because yeah. of course this is a set before 30, 30 years before original Metal Gear. So... Well, if Big Boss died in 1964, none of the games, other games would work, you know, mm-hmm. so since it's a prequel. Do you guys remember, like, the marketing for this game when it initially was coming out? Like, during, like, peak hype of, like, Metal Gear Solid 3 back in the day? I'll be like, 100% you, you... honest with you, I don't. I just remember this game showing up on the shelves, and I knew I had to have it. That's all. That's honestly all I can really remember. I don't remember commercials. I I don't. I remember Power of Nostalgia, or maybe I just remember the wrong things. But anyway, point is, when this game came out, it was like peak Metal Gear hype. Now, I'm like, Metal Gear Solid 2 was a really big deal because, like, you know, one was like Game of the Year for like so many people, so many publications. And then two kind of had the whole thing where it was peak hype, but the way it was marketed, they didn't tell you about, you know, Snake not being the main character of his own game. Spoilers for two? Yeah. I I think we're beyond that, but yeah. And then for part three, they kind of tried to pull something different with the marketing. I remember because they never explicitly said like nowadays with the collections, right? You'll boot it up and they'll say, this is the story of big boss. Back in the day, they tried to leave that kind of a secret. They didn't reveal it in any of that. Like it was very clearly taking place at that time, but um, nobody would outright say that. Yes, this is big boss. That was supposed to be like a big in-game reveal. So spoilers, I guess. Well, I I guess, but I mean, at the same time, but like, if you get the game now, it's just interesting because it was marketed that way back back then. Although everyone kind of suspected, right? But it's that's also Kojima, so who knows? Maybe he's got a rabbit out of his ass here. Maybe the whole thing was a VR simulation. You you don't know. 
but yeah, but it's just, it just kind of that struck me because now when you, if you log in, you'll like go to the collection and you'll look at the description before you even start the game, and it'll say the story of Big Boss, but you know the story of how Big Boss you know attained the title of Big Boss, and you're like, uh, okay, spoiler, I guess. And I that know. is actually kind of a big reveal at the end because when you defeat the boss, the whole she says there can only be one boss, and you defeat her, and then when you get awarded by President Nixon at the end. He says you are the big boss. Uh, you know, he gives you that medal. Yeah, so that that is actually a reveal at the end of the game. So, saying it in the description is kind of like uh, that is like a the end end game spoiler right there, kind of. I guess they're just counting on probably people who've probably already beat the game and want to replay it on a, a new console when it comes to this point. Yeah, true. Yeah, it's true. I, I mean, it was even fairly obvious back in the day. I mean, once you put the time frame, once you kind of know about Snake and Liquid's history and like the other games, it's like, okay, well, this has to be what they're setting it up for, right? But yeah, they they weren't super obvious about it. They, they were like revealing little bits at a time, but unless there was like a bit of marketing I missed. I remember that being like, you know, Snake in, you know, Snake after the Cold War, but that was all they really said. We all have experience with Metal Gear. What do you guys think how do you think this compares from an urban environment you know normally when you play you're in urban environment now you're in like the soviet jungle setting what do you think about the setting like the graphics like how do how do you like like that feel of that soviet jungle for this game i i loved it absolutely loved it may i, I was a sucker for the camo and everything to it i guess when it comes to like history stuff I, i'm always fascinated by stuff like the vietnam war and this kind of takes place right around that era but no, I absolutely, I, it's, I prefer it. It's looking, when looking into this game's, you know, development and everything, uh, I guess that was the purpose. But the the game was originally being developed for the PS3, but because of the complications and how long it was taking to, I guess, develop the console for the PS3, that they kind of just pushed it to the PS2. And originally it was being developed for the PS3. And what Kojima said was that the purpose was to do it for a jungle, and the main reasons why they stuck to, I guess, the, uh, I don't want to say warehouse feel, but kind of that fortress feel, maybe, with the first two more, games. Yeah, a little more uh, sterile environments. They, they said that the main reason why was because of the hardware limitations, that the main reason why they could only build environments like that is because the environment it was just easier to develop for the uh, the whole idea was making more a more 3d mountainous area climbing around they thought they were going to be able to do that more with a and they, they still did with this with this with this game but they i think it was more to deal with the ease of development for the first two games to to have that kind of setting um but i much prefer the setting i love the whole hiding in the, i guess the grass and uh, just where this game takes place that in history where this game takes place and tying it all into I guess, um, like the arms race, the the yeah. rocket race, all that. Yeah, yeah. I I th I personally do enjoy the camo system. And I, the thing is, when I first played this game, I thought it was like the most beautiful game I've ever seen. Like I could see how it could be a PS3 game. Like if you push it just that little bit more, you know. I just thought the grass. Like this is the first time I ever ran into like a field of grass, and like the grass would move out of the way as you run through it. You know what I mean? Little things like that just make this whole entire environment just come alive. Like the first time you go into the the jungle at the very beginning of the game, there's a snake hanging from a tree. You know, there's a rabbit hopping around at different po points. It's like a entire little ecosystem that they built inside this game, which is really interesting to me. 
Yeah, crocodiles by the lakes and everything. You know, yeah. Because you're in a jungle. and That's a great food source right at the beginning of the game, too. I, I was initially trying to, like, try and get, like, that, um... Like, there was a crocodile helmet, or uh, crocodile, like, camo, I remember mm-hmm. being able to get. That if you, like, have it, you can, like, go undetected if you're, like, going through water. So I th- just came back with an assault rifle after I found it and just started clean- cleaning house. And, yeah, 10 or 12, like, alligators afterwards, nothing. A lot of meat, though. Recovers, like, two, almost two quarters of your health. Or two, two uh, yeah, two quarters of your health. And this, this one kind of requires on the system, like, for... Like your health depre- de- depreciates, right? In this game, and like you'll start hearing your your tummy rumble, and yeah. uh, after half, yeah, yeah. And I I think some people might find that annoying, but because the first two games then do that, that was something that was implemented in this one. But you know, I don't mind it. There's plenty of like rations and yeah, it's a sta- it's basically a rabbits. stamina bar, right? Yeah. You know, you have your main health. Yeah. If you get hurt, you have like a little red section of the health if that that won't go away until you cure. And then, of course, like you said, you got to eat to uh, make the stamina bar go back up. If it's low, you won't heal as fast, right? So. Yeah. Did you like having to perform surgeries on yourself? I, d- I don't mind it. Uh, it can feel a little like, I don't know, uh, tedious. Tacked on, if you, tacked yeah, on or something like that. Yeah. yeah. It provides heavy incentive to not get caught by anybody. It does. That's true. Because then you're not trying to like fix, you know, four bullet wounds, a burn, and like a uh, freaking like deep cut wound or something. You, you know, the only time though, I, I really felt like one was more of an annoy, uh, annoyance for me was in the middle of a boss fight when like you're in this heavy boss fight and I'm like, oh, I got a bullet hole. So it happens, you get shot again right away. This mostly happened when the, the first Vulcan fight for me because he does shoot a lot of ammunition at you from his hands. Yeah, because then you have to stop. And then you have to kind of remember what, what it is. Okay, well, I need the knife to remove the bullet. Uh, then I need to put, like, some kind of, you know, antiseptic on there. Then I need to uh, put a Band-Aid on there. And then I need to put uh, something else on there. Okay, that's cleaned. Okay, I broke, broke my arm. Now I need to do this. I need to put, yeah, put a sprint against me. I need to bandage this up. And stuff like that. I could see it being... Um, I mean, that was, that was the only time I'm like, oh, I got to do this again because I keep getting hit. But... You kind of it kind of goes with the flow of the mechanics, so you get used to it as yeah. you play. And uh, if you're careful, you're probably not going to have to do it too often because, and you're pretty decent at the CQC and stealth. Basically, the more you get hurt, you're going to have to do it more often. There's but, there's, uh, there's plenty of band aids. There's there's plenty of like health items to refill your your health and whatnot. So it's not like you have to worry about running out of band aids and and whatnot. But it it was just one of those things where I'm like ah, but. This is a minor nuisance. It's it, it like I said, it doesn't happen throughout the game. It mostly just happened for me in a couple major boss fights, but Yeah. There was life medicine, but I found it was pretty rare. Like you didn't really encounter it many times throughout the game, and even then you didn't find much of it. Yeah, just when I I usually end up using the life medicine like near the end of the game where it's like that Volgan tank battle where he's like going around. That's usually when I like, okay, I'm gonna have oh, it all. Yeah. Cause that he can do some serious damage and you could You'll have to redo the entire thing if he kills you. So that makes sense. Yeah. The, um, I don't know. Like, I, I found the boss, like, particularly for the Fury, was probably the worst for me because it did take me a few times. Like, you can kill, deplete the, half the Fury's health easy, no problem. Mm-hmm. And then he goes aggro on you and it's just like burn, burn. You're constantly going back to the menu, just like bringing out ointment, trying to like trade all the savage burns from his jet fuel flamethrower that he carries around. 
Yeah, he's like a or was it like dude space in a, yeah. a space. Fu- he's like in a space suit, like with a giant flamethrower and a jetpack, basically. Was it was the story behind all the bosses that and I'm just going off memory here that they're all were a part of like her elite squad, right? Yeah, the the Ravens and she got them together Cobras. during World War Two. Cobras, Cobras, my bad. Oh, See, I made that. Uh, yeah, I made that mistake too when I was looking into it. So, <laughs> uh, oh yeah, no, because I'm thinking Vulcan Raven from earlier too. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But like, yeah, the Cobras were like a unit that I, I guess they in that world they were kind of known as legendary heroes that helped turn the tide of World War Two, which is so badass. Yeah, yeah, which is very badass, right? Um, e- even though you look at half of them, you're like, really, those guys? Like the the B guy and the dude who's talking about fear and nightmares all the time are like the good guys, eh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. War is a war is strange. And like I said, that's also that's also a theme of it, though. So, and then you find eventually find out that the sorrow and the boss had a history together, right? That they they had a relationship, and I think Josh, you said he she killed him, right? Yeah, yeah. She it, killed she killed him because it can only be one boss, right? That's the gist I got of it. Like, mm-hmm. the, um. It was like, it was intended, I think it was intended from, on purpose, though, right? Because he would be well, go on to have his man. If he'd go on to become what he is after, after being killed by the boss, right? Well, um, well, basically, from what I remember happening was the Cobras split up after the war, because the boss preaches a lot in the game about like you know sides change, friends can be and friends can suddenly become enemies on a whim, you know. Are you prepared to and she keeps asking Snake that question. Are you prepared to do what's necessary, you know, loyalty loyalty to the country or loyalty to me? And that becomes a big thing because apparently like he like the Sorrow was on a mission of his own. Or they were just on opposite sides of like a conflict at the time. And she killed him and he said it was okay because they this is this is where it gets a little dicey, but from what I recall, the Cobras were in space at one point. And it explains the Fury, right? Yeah. yeah. The Fury, for sure. The Fury talks about it. And the boss talks about it at the end, too. Just about how, like, you know, she saw the world from orbit, and she saw a world that had no borders, no nationalities, no East versus West, just one mass, everyone living on it. And that's kind of becomes the the dream of like the entire that's like the dream that fuels the series more or less like the boss's ideology uh the boss's dream is kind of what fuels everybody pretty much involved in Metal Gear Solid 3 from Ocelot to Snake to Eva to Zero maybe a little less for uh Sigint and Paramedic but basically the idea is they kind of have this future that they want to they want to bring about like that kind of world without borders sort of deal and it kind of becomes this poison thing after a while uh, because, like, uh, you know, obviously, as you see, as Metal Gear goes on, like, those people involved start turning on each other because they have different ideas of what the boss wanted. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, but kind of in the same way that, you know, I-, I guess we're in full spoiler territory here for Metal Gear Solid 3, right? Like, there's, yeah. I'm assuming nothing's off the table. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, the reveal at the end that, you know, the boss knew. She's like the ultimate martyr. Yeah. The ultimate hero willing to do whatever it took for the mission for what she wanted to see as long as the i as long as the ideology carried on she was okay with it because it's just two sides of the same conflict yeah you know, it's like two sides of a conflict but they wanted to go with something beyond that i i'm sure there's a more eloquent way to put it but that's kind of what i got from it mm-hmm. i mean yeah. even even with eva's turn at the end remember she was she was supposed to do a couple of things but she didn't because of the boss right that everyone was the generally 
kind of, I guess they respected her and they, I don't know if they feared her, but oh, they feared Vol- her. Yeah, Vol- Volgan wouldn't even go against her. Like, you know. seeing Volgan like cower back at the boss was like one of the top moments for me. Just when she, she kind of challenges him, steps up, and it's like the one moment where like Volgan is just like this indomitable prick for like the entire game. And then the boss just like takes two steps forward with him and he just cowers back, like, whoa, 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 I didn't mean anything. I didn't mean a thing. It's just, I don't know. I, I love that. It's like, wow. It's like, even Volgan is like, I'm not, I'm not messing with this woman. Like, not happening. You know, do yeah. they explain it in this game? Uh, I think they do, but I, I can't pinpoint it to it. But I think it's alluded to in this game that Ocelot is her child with the sorrow. And it explains yes. kind of his hairstyle later on in the games. Yeah. Uh, in, the, in Metal Gear 1, 2, and 4, having the same kind of hair pattern as the sorrow. Yeah, it explains, I think, eventually how he he's able to pick up CQC later on in the game because he... Well, he's he's her child, but I think I don't know if he knows that. That's the thing is like I think that's one of those things where he was taken away from her, um, in that's order. Right. Yeah, he he was taken away from her. So I don't know. If, so it was on, it was intended on purpose, right? Like so, I don't know. I don't know if it's to protect him or was just that so she continued continue working for the the government or something, something like that. I don't know how much that's described or explained, but maybe in like, I know Metal Gear Solid 4 like breaks every little detail of the stuff down. So maybe, I don't know. Yeah, there, there are details in 4 I kind of forget. And there's a lot of questions I have about his relation to the Sorrow and how many of the Sorrow's abilities got passed on to Ocelot. Mm-hmm. I.e. having Liquid's arm and suddenly channeling Liquid as a person. Oh, yeah. Th- um, that's kind of answered yeah. in five, but I'm not going to go into the spoiling that if you've never played five. Oh shit! You're right. You're right. I actually forgot that was. But no, it's yeah, it's yeah, a good, it's good point. I mean, it's a very that's... minor spoiler that one. I I think I I no, think that yeah. I think that kind of I don't want to give away the twist for for five, but um, oh no 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 well I mean I, I, I know the twist you're talking about but anyway yeah we're not we're we're not going to tread that yeah. I see what that thin thin water. I, I was just, just going to point out. I, I think what people thin ice. Sorry, I, I was I was never. I love all these games in the series. I, the only one I really haven't played was Peace Walker. That's the only one I can really say. I ran out of time last time trying to do it before the last Metal Gear came out. And I meant to, just have yet to go back to do it. But I think one thing listening to I was so when I attended Portland Retro Gaming Convention two years ago, there there was a Retronauts podcast going on there, and they actually had. Uh, one guy who worked on the development for Metal Gear Solid 3 and one of the guys who worked on the development for Metal Gear Solid 4. And the guy who worked on 3 also worked on 4. And he got hired on for Metal Gear Solid 3 because he ran it. He was, I think he was a game developer. Or he was like whatever, up and coming, whatever. He was supposed to interview him for whatever job he was doing. And he asked him a question in... Japanese like he ran into him and asked him a question and he's like oh he was kind of taken back by it and I think it's just it wasn't like your regular how do you make a game or something like that it was just like a thorough question about something with the history of the game and he was taken back by it but ultimately Kojima liked this guy enough where he hired him on to work for Metal Gear Solid 3 on the translation team because he knew Japanese and he was native you know English to him to America where it was very important to Kojima that the language being spoke for that region was from someone from that region. That the the game, you know, it wasn't just a 
inappropriately translated. Like he realized everyone, you know, different cultures talk differently. So the game had to reflect that. That was very important to him that if this is games taking place in, you know, takes place in America or for whatever North American users, he wanted to speak to speak like how I guess we talk normally in Japan would be handled by a different team where it's how Japanese people talk or to me, like a little stuff, a little attention to detail to it to me, like is incredible, but just, I guess, backtrack to that. One thing I know that they were talking about on this podcast is people didn't like four because it answered questions that people always had in their mind where in their heads, they thought, okay, this is how it happens, blah, blah, blah. And he answers a lot of questions saying, no, this is actually how it is. And people did not like that about four. Uh, and five, even more so, goes into that, too, where people really did not like answers being, like, mysteries that were always for one, two, and three <laughs> completely answered where people were like, well, I don't like that answer. So it, I guess, you know, it's kind of one of those things where people might hate having the answer for them and they might much rather have their own interpretation in their head. It's just little little attention to details that uh, I always find fascinating when it comes to these Kojima games. So one thing I love about like Hideo Kojima uh, when he makes his games, he always makes sure that the sound design is awesome and there's always a really good score. So what do you guys think about the music, the sound effects, all that stuff in Metal Gear Solid 3? Uh, Tim? Um, well, I mean... A lot of the sound effects I found to be, you know, you have the, your, like, you know, your classic metal, metal gear sound effects in there, the alert sound, status, things like that. I thought about this a bit. Like, I, I thought the score was appropriate, especially the first time around. I got very used to that alert music. <laughs> the second game, not so much. But for what me really stood out now, uh, we, we, you, you touched on this earlier when you talked about the boss. But one of my favorite things in any form of storytelling is if you can add a vocal track to your climax in any way, um, I'm sold. Nine times out of ten, like it just it, it just works. It adds to it, right? So getting Snake Eater kind of slowly building as that fight goes on for me was great. You know, I, I love that little bit of sound design. Um, th- there's one other thing about Snake Eater I want to talk about, but I, I think you have that saved for a later section. No, we could talk about it the latter se- section, right? The latter oh yeah, section. absolutely, the latter section. <laughs> oh man, that's interesting. It's a choice. It's meme worthy these days. <laughs> uh, so basically what we're talking about is there's a scene where you're at the base of the mountain and you have to climb this gigantic ladder in the center of the mountain to get to the top and as you, you're just climbing it just wrong, one rung at a time and then out of nowhere slowly builds in the theme song the snake eater theme song that he was mentioning and uh, of course it's like a very James Bondy feeling that theme I love that basically it's a long the, the ladder's just long enough if you just keep holding up that the song will start you play the entire song and it ends at the very top just kind of like a nice moment like you're just kind of like with your thoughts listening to that which is pretty cool yeah. that and the sounds of climbing a ladder just yeah, the... <laughs> yeah. Just, just adding vocal tracks to anything makes it better especially climbing ladders yeah Anytime, anytime I can see it like that as a meme. I, I remember with Near Automata, there was a scene. There, there is a very much another tall ladder scene in in that game in in one of the buildings. Uh, and I saw someone made a GIF of it where they just added the Snake Eater theme to it. And it it's uh, you know, it's it's very meme worthy. Where uh, I've seen, I think recently on Twitter, there was uh, just 
just like a little emojis made that made the reference to the snake eater too and that i don't know anytime I, I guess anytime i see a long ladder in a game it's something i think of now when thinking about this game for for i guess another thing i'll point out is that as for music i want to say the opening i don't know, opening credits the title screen music the very slow pace where you see it like in camouflage or two shadows you can see it's like snake taking out I guess one of these soldiers, but it's like them him doing CQC with the slow beat playing in the background with the camouflage yeah. changing too constantly between all the different colors. It's it's another one that really sticks in my head when I'm playing this game. It's a very memorable title screen. Like mm-hmm. I can hear the music in my head right now just thinking about it. So Yeah, I remember that looking really fluid at the time too for like a PS2 game that kind of looked that smooth and detailed with its like, you know, fight animations i remember like looking at, i remember looking at that and being like "Ooh, next gen like this almost looks like gen at the time or maybe that's just nostalgia glasses but i this is kind of going over to another topic I, I guess but the hd remaster is like phenomenal for this i think i think it's one of the best hd remasters i've seen they, they think? did they did a lot of cleaning up in it from what i understand and maybe it had to do with some of the hardware limitations but one thing it's great about the HD edition is it actually is like the substance edition, right? Is it am I saying that right or is it substance? A subsistence. Else? Subsistence, there you go. It's like Thank a, you. Um, so 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 well, in addition to getting, you know, a cleaner version of the game, you get all the extra bonuses that came with the that version. And included also is the original MSX games that are translated to English in there too. So you can play the original Metal Gear game or in Metal Gear 2. Solid Snake, I believe it's called. Yeah. Um, and it, like I said, I think it's really neat because those games previously weren't released in North America. Uh, and I don't think yeah, translate either. That's an amazing addition. Like, yeah, yeah, we got like the NES Ultra Games version of Metal Gear, but it was like not sanctioned by Kojima. It was they made a lot of unnecessary changes. They changed the final boss and two just never came here. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got like Snake's Revenge, which was like this weird third party thing. But yeah. I think it's really cool for them to do such a thing like that, too. And it's also, like I said, it's cleaned up. And from my understanding, they did a lot of... So the original version kind of has that over-the-shoulder feel. I I shouldn't say over-the-shoulder. I guess the top-down view more Mm -hmm. of the game. Like an isometric style? That the first two games have. Top-down. According to Kojima, that was because he said, well, this game was always intended just to be a trilogy with Metal Gear Solid 1, 2, and 3. He never intended to do 4 and 5. So when doing developing this game, he only stuck to that, well, this matches 1 and 2. Later, when releasing this game, they added the third-person camera, which is also in the HD remaster. But honestly, I I can't say I've ever used it. I guess because I'm so adjacent to two in the first game and i guess even twin snakes on the gamecube that that style that uh, i never end up really ever using the the, the third person camera to rotate the, the 3d camera to rotate the camera so yeah it it gives it a completely different feel so this time i did switch be- i usually end up switching back and forth but this time i mostly stuck to the third person camera and it feels really good and then the, there's a little things that i noticed that like Maybe this like wasn't really made for the third person camera, you know what I mean? Like originally intended that way. Just just small little gameplay things like not being able to see that well sometimes when you're in that camera mode. And like if you click back to the other one, you can see like, oh okay, I can see around that corner a lot better now. You know what I mean? 
because it kind of zooms the camera out. You can switch on the fly when you play as well. I played mostly in third person, and I've had a good time with it. I, it feels a, almost a little more modern, I guess I should say, in the third person mode to me. It seems like that was added because like, I think that was one of the knocks against it that people felt that more the 3D camera was more of a thing at the time, coming around at that time. And this game didn't have that. So it kind of felt like, I guess, to some maybe of the critics or people who played at the time that maybe it was like a step back. For, for all the advances this game's made, you still have something that's a little outdated, you know, going through. That's And that's why it was re, re-added when they re-released the game. But well, I do remember the original game feeling more of a need to rely on, like, the motion detector and the sonar and, like, the microphone. Um I felt more of an urgency to switch between all of them in the first time around, and I guess I didn't really feel that need this time, which which was nice. Just relying on first person mode a, lo- a little bit more helped, but yeah. Which which one did they have by default in that again for the HD? The HD, I think it's like I don't know if it starts off third person. Do you have to click into it? I think you have, to click, into, you have to click into it by pressing the R three. Yeah, I was gonna, trigger it. yeah, I was gonna say because I never used that mode. I never uh, switched in. I just kind of. Kept I did it the same. Yeah, I I kind of kept the classic. I, I I will say probably I didn't switch it because I didn't know until after beating the game and then looking into it like how do you do this? Oh, okay. It's it's just something I like I said it's because I've maybe beaten this about five times now or it just become it becomes secondhand to me like how this game works. It take it I will I will admit it it did take me I don't want to say an hour but it take me about 20, 20 30 minutes to get comfortable back be like oh yeah this is how this game plays it, it's slightly different it, it is a little dated because it came out in 2004 but yeah. for control wise but after you figure the game it, it kind of becomes a breeze it just, it just takes about i would say about 20 20 minutes to get used to how these controls really do work yeah it's like an adjustment curve because you have to like to use your gun in first person you have to hit the shoulder button then you have to pull the gun gun up with the square button or the you know the mm-hmm. B button, like I was playing on Xbox, but I just say square. Um, and then you have to hold the button and then let go to fire, you know, just like very specific order of operations when you do different things in the game. You, know? you can also click the left stick to uh, raise and lower your gun. If you, if you already have the gun out, you can do that. But if you're, if you don't, like, you have to, like, basically equip it with R. Then when you're first person mode, if you click left stick, you can, like, if you have it, if you have, like, square, you know, X or whatever console you're using. And you're holding that in, but you, this this got me killed a few times. Actually, um, would be holding it in and then being like, "Oh shit, I can't let I can't let go of this now." But I, I have the I have the attack button held in, and I eventually let go of the shot. I alert the enemy, and I get I get shot for it. Yeah, but I found if you hit left stick, then you just lower the gun if you're doing that. Oh, I and didn't even you, know that. <laughs> yeah, then you don't fire. That's cool. All the little subtle things they don't really tell you, but you just kind of figure out as you play the game. Are you guys like me, and you basically just use the trink gun the entire time? Yes. Yeah. And the yeah. suppressor. You just have to. You have to make sure. That's the one thing. If you um, I, I I still don't even know basically if you can just re you know drop your suppressor, throw it away, and put a new one on because there's always been like once or twice where just the suppressor breaks right at you're getting really near the end and all of a sudden, bink, oh the dog, yeah, I just alerted a dog or something like that because I'm I'm actually making a real sound as opposed to just no no one really hears you of your um. With the, with the suppressor on, it's pretty quiet. And if you hit them in the head with the suppressor, it's you know they go down immediately and go night night, as opposed to like walking around for I don't know fifteen seconds before falling asleep. So, yeah, yeah. So you get kind of good with like sniping with your little train gun, mm-hmm. pretty much. 
Yeah, because I mean, ultimately, anything like you also have the handgun that has a different suppressor. But it's like if you shoot the enemy once and you don't get a headshot, then they're gonna be like, "What? The enemy's here!" But yeah. if you hit somebody with a tranquilizer, they're like, "Huh? What was that?" That's and then true. yeah, you, you just have to wait them out. Um, it, it's like if you don't want to get caught, it's the best way for sure. Because even if someone gets like tranked and knocked out, and another soldier finds them, they'll just they'll just be like, "Hey, what's wrong?" They'll you know they'll kick them and wake them up. Mm-hmm. But if I find a body, <laughs> then they're going on alert immediately, right? So yeah, no, absolutely, trank all the way. I I will say though too, I, upon this playthrough, and I kind I don't know if I discovered this prior to that. Um, if I ever set off an alarm, I, I found I can almost just run to the next area and be good, and maybe just hide in the bushes, and the alert will go away. But if you stay in that area, it's gonna it's gonna stick around for a little while. Where the guys are keep patrolling that area. Uh, the only time I can ever recall is maybe that one time where you're trying to escape. When you meet up with Eva for the first time, I think you rest and you wake up the next day, and Ocelot's crew shows up, and I think you have to kind of just sneak away. It's, you know, I, I tried sneaking away, but I can't because oh, every, yeah. the the fence is locked and everything. You're, you're basically you you're there to take out everybody there. So I think it was like six, six soldiers, six or eight. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think it was eight. Yeah. yeah, they have a counter. You have to like take them all out before you can move ahead. I, that took me a few times to do. And there's one on the roof. <laughs> that that one that one I'm like where is this guy? He keeps setting the alarm, and eventually you find he's on the roof. So I'm gonna take him out first. Yeah, and then if you, somebody sees you on the roof, they start throwing grenades up there. Mm-hmm. So you'd be like, oh crap, roll away from this grenade. <laughs> Kojima is known for his cutscenes. He's known for his story. We've been talking about that. How do you guys feel about the cutscene length? Like, do you like that exposition where they where Volgan? Okay, good example. Volgan will basically before you fight him, he's like, you know what? I guess I'll explain everything to you. And then you sit down and you watch a 20 minute cutscene. Do you guys like that style or, you know, uh, what's your general feeling on the cutscenes in this game? Yeah, well, I mean, the cutscenes were one thing I really noticed. This game had a much more condensed story overall. Like the the, pol- the political end of it was there, right? Like, it, it, but you got most of that in the briefing. And then when you got to the actual, like, you know, grounds, when you actually got on the ground, it was all it was mostly all business. And that was something I kind of noticed. Like, you know, the cutscenes were all kind of like, you, you know how this game kind of has a James Bondish feel to it? And not just like the Snake Eater theme, but like just the lone agent. I, I mean, you know, you could argue by that comparison, Eva's like the stand in for a Bond woman. Like, mm-hmm. it's got that kind of dynamic to it, right? Yeah. Um, you know, Vulgan's your big impossible, like, you know, Russian baddie. It kind of sticks to that. And I, and I really appreciate that. So, like, when there's one, when, when a cutscene happens, it's because something important happens. And that also kind of brings me to my point of there are isn't that much uh, codec dialogue either. That's true. That's like true, on your yeah. transceiver, like that, like I that is so trimmed down from like the previous games that you almost kind of forget that your support characters are there for chunks of the game. Like for a lot of the fights, I forgot to call like Zero or Paramedic or mm-hmm. Sigit, and then we get to later in the game, I'm like, oh right, they're there, they're part of my crew. They're never mandatory calling me into like a 20 minute call scene, so. I yeah. forget that they're there. Yeah. I guess it's the more straightforward of the series than in that aspect, huh? Because some of them are like, you'd be sitting there for a while <laughs> listening to whatever co- co- codec conversation. So, yeah. Yeah. It, but it rewards you if you actually sit there and listen to it, though, which, oh, which sure. I appreciate. Just being able to, like, like, getting to know some of these characters, especially without going too heavy in the spoiler territory, learning who some of these characters go on to be. Like, like what you learn about them later on conflicts so much with what you know about them, like, 
as people as you play that game. Paramedic, especially. She yeah. tells you about all her favorite movies, too. Yeah. Then <laughs> by then, when you look back on Metal Gear Solid 1, you kind of see how all those movies had an effect on her psyche. And she... Yeah. Yep. Paramedic becomes soulless, man. It's insane. Just not in this, not not in this game, but in in the Metal Gear story, Paramedic becomes like a pretty a pretty heartless scientist at some point. Yeah, without giving away too much. I agree with you. I also I also feel this one's a little bit more straightforward than two. Two is one of those Metal Gear Solid twos where like I have to go into like deep like research for it because I'm always like, well, there's a lot that just goes way over my head in Metal Gear Solid two. And it's fascinating because a lot of it kind of Metal Gear Solid 2, I shouldn't say a lot, but some of it kind of ties into like with today, today's like discussion with going in, what's going on, I don't want to say in America, but like in the world maybe. And it's, it's neat for that aspect, but three is much, I want to say an easier story to follow as opposed to two. Two is very convoluted. And I, I, I guess I like listening into the theories or the, the deeper explanations behind everything with two, but like. Two is the hardest one for me to follow out of every game in the Metal Gear Solid series. Well, this one might be the easiest. Maybe the first one might be even easier, but I, I, I guess I really just, I like the long cutscenes, like in the way, you know, you said Vulcan goes in the deep explanation. Oh, I appreciate that. Why uh, something like that's going to happen. So, mm-hmm. well, it's kind of consequence of the time and the technology too, right? Like, you notice how one, and especially two, um, because of them being in the digital age, how, complex and you know at times convoluted of a story that gets when you take the story back to something like the 1960s when technology is simpler and even in movies narratives are simpler true um you know Kojima being a big fan of movies and i found this yeah and all those things got tied into this being like a much simpler narrative you know obviously significant when you look at the overall middle gear history like how how these characters and this event ties in but the actual storytelling itself, yeah, is way more straightforward with probably one of the best endings of the entire series. Mm-hmm. I yeah. agree with that. I, I, I like the voice acting. I mean, some of it's very hammy, but it kind of just, it's just, that's the, the tone of the, you know, like Solid Snake or, you know, Naked Snake in this one, I guess. Uh, literally, anytime somebody says something to him, it feels like he just echoes it back to him as a like as a question he'd be like the shaggo hud he'd be like the shaggo hud you know just that's just how he talks you know virtual religion (laughs) yeah basically uh i I just it's has its own like charm to it i think oh no absolutely um because the funny thing is i remember when that first came out like because you do get that really long drawn out sequence at the beginning with the boss where they're talking and there's like this big melodrama. It's like, why did you go? There's so much more I need you to teach me. You know, it's just like this big thing. And I'm like, Oh man, is this going to be what the game is? But no, like uh, though. Yeah, absolutely. The melodrama stays there. The the people who play the Cobra unit were great. You could tell they were having fun with it. I am the fear, you know, shit like that. <laughs> I, I just see the voice actor being like, wait, so you're telling me that I get to play a character who's covered in bees, who shoots bees at people and gets to scream a lot. Yeah. And you're paying me to do this. <laughs> I, I also, th- I love all the boss fights. I, I uh, And then Ocelot's boss fight, him just saying all his dumb quips and stuff to you. And yeah, it's, it's, it's good times. Oh, that, that hand gesture, man. Uh, I, like you can't see it. Nobody who's listening is ever going to see it. But if you play the game, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Ocelot's signature uh, hand gesture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Although it 
become signature in that game because I don't think you ever see him use it before then, which was funny to me because it became like this thing. And it even, they even wrap it around in other games where he does it. And I'm like, huh, that's such a weird signature to kind of leave out of the rest. And this is my favorite version of him, I guess, in out of all the series too. Young, young Ocelot. They, they so say cocky. They, what, what do they call him? They call him Ocelot, right? Or does boss call him Ocelot? Shellashashka. Like yeah. Um, Ademo, Ademovich. Oh, what was his last name? It was Ademovich something. I forget his last name. No, Snake. Or sorry, there's a conversation where Snake, doesn't Snake say like he's like you're not an ocelot or something like that. Or I can't remember. They're, they're check like I don't know if they're just just find his name, but he's the reason why Snake only has one. Or Big Boss has one eye, right? Yeah, pretty much. And and also I I think the the when you first see him and he meows like rars like a cat. That's mm-hmm. kind of setting the tone for his yeah setting the tone for his character a little bit. He's just so it's just funny because he's kind of like this older, shrewd, like clear villain behind the scenes role for like the first two games. And then he is like the you get the three and he is just this young, cocky, brash, arrogant shit who who's clearly talented as hell. Right. But like all the scenes of Snake with Ocelot when he's like just like Snake. The thing is, in that game, Snake could have killed Ocelot probably six times over. Easy, because like, every time Ocelot shows off and fucks up, every time he lets his gun jam, it, he, st- it, it, he stops Eva from killing him too. Remember, he's like, she's like, why'd you let him go? He's gonna report. And he's like, he's too young or something like that. He's like, yeah, it's like he's, he's just, still he's young. Just, yeah, he's just a kid or something like that. Yeah, I, I love, I love how he just breaks down every time he messes up. He's like, that's the wrong gun. You, you know, and then he goes super in depth about all the little piston firings in a gun to explain why he messed up and stuff like that. Kind of like giving him a little little training almost mm-hmm. he does that to us a lot there's too much kickback on that gun you know and you're yeah holding it, you're holding it wrong yeah yeah he trains he trains ocelot indirectly so much in that game he, even as an experiment for torture just so he you know you know get his whole torture thing that he carries on for the rest of the games well the the the, the mega twist at the end with him is that he actually was adam because you so snake is supposed to be when he after healing up, after taking a whooping from the boss, and she breaks him down, essentially saving his life because they were going to kill him, but she essentially, you know, purposely hurts him badly. But she knows he'll survive because she's taught him how to survive. He's he's sent when he's sent back in a mission. And his mission is to take out the boss. He's supposed to meet with two spies, right? He's supposed to meet with Adam and Eve, and he meets up with Eva, and she portrays herself to be, you know, she says because he's supposed to meet up with Adam, and she says, well, Adam's not going to be able to make it here, so I came in his place. Ocelot turns out to be, at the end, he turns out to be the Adam who was supposed to meet up with. He was, he was the spy he was supposed to meet up with, and Eva was not Eve. And that I think they said Eve, Eve died. I think pro- probably right. Yeah, but yeah. she was portraying herself to be Eve because she, essentially, is working for the Chinese government, right? Trying to get the, um, what's the plan? Philosophers, the philosophers like, sorry, yeah. philosophers That's, legacy. Yeah. yeah. So it's. And you finally find that out because he is there at the in the final room with with Nixon at the end of the credits where he's in the room and there's actually an achievement if you actually see him if you can point the camera on him where in a, there's an achievement in the game I tried oh, I, I, I I couldn't find it I couldn't find it but I was I was trying to get as many of the achievements as possible on uh, on this playthrough playthrough I missed so 
but yeah, he that's one of the twists that he's actually there working for the U.S. government as well with Snake, but he doesn't know it. So, yeah, it's like at the that's like the post credit scene basically. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's just of audio recording him revealing that piece of information at the very end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh. He's a but double agent. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Eve this entire time is portraying herself to be, you know, working with you and what's it called and essentially that's the other way it was, it was supposed to be you're supposed to be working with, with Ocelot and not her, but she she fell for him, right? But she was real, I think she most likely was because she was enamored with the boss as well. Where I know, sorry, it's, I'm I'm trying to process this all because there's a little little twist here and there where she yeah. was supposed to kill Snake and take basically everything for it, but she couldn't. So yeah, she took the legacy, but she didn't take. Uh... No, actually, no, she took the legacy. She didn't kill Snake, but then you find out she got double crossed, and it wasn't the actual legacy. Ocelot switched it out. Mm-hmm. And got that money for the U.S. Because the whole idea was like, I, I guess we haven't really talked about it, but like the idea of like what the philosoph- who the philosophers were, which were like a group of like, you know how people talk about like the Illuminati, like the most rich and powerful who clearly like run the world. Well, that's basically what the philosophers were back in like the early 1900s, yeah, um, late 1800s, like you know the the real people, and it was a select group of people from the United States, China, and Europe. No, and no, United States, China, and Russia. Sounds right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and then there was like this big fight over the legacy because it was like a hundred billion or something like that, which back then would have been, you know, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> well, 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 it's a lot now, but you know, for yeah. the for a war, yeah, back then it was a lot more. And they would probably change the tide of like put it, put the war in some specific person's favor if they had it right, basically. Yeah. And the R and D that they were clearly able to do because of it, right? Like they managed, they, they managed to make the Shagohod with some of that. We we haven't even yeah. talked about the Shagohod at all. That's that's like one of the major plot points in the story. Like, but there's so much to this game. Like, you know. It, oh yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, the Shagohod is basically just you know what they tried before the what they tried before Metal Gear. I mean, it was like the weird the first Metal Gear, right? Yeah. Basically. Oh, it was like a tank that just had like these little like almost lobsterish like front uh, claws in terms of like function for moving it around and well, not yeah, claws, but it had well, it had the des- describing the design of that thing is so fucking strange. God damn it, Kojima! Essentially, it's designed though, right, to be able to at this point in time, Russia is not able to, I guess, get a a nuke a nuclear bomb in the U S region basically. Uh, but with this, with this, um, creation, it's able to, because it's designed, it's kind of like a launching catapult basically where it would, you know, it gets a running start and can eventually deploy a nuclear, uh, bomb. And eventually it has the ability to reach almost anywhere in the world. So I guess that's one of the main, one of the main points of having it destroyed, right? Is that it's the ability where it can, it can, cause there's multiple nukes also, um, yeah. Deployed in this game too, right? Oh, I was gonna say like the real danger apparently was the fact that Vulgan was the one with the technology because um, it, it's kind of established that there are certain political powers that if they had one they would use that as a small deterrent. But Vulgan wanted to like get one in every major section of Russia. He wanted to mass produce, and then he wanted to sell it on the world market so everybody would have a fucking Chegohad. Clearly, Vulgan Vulgan's like one of the biggest villains Metal Gear basically has. <laughs> 
like one of the biggest objective villains and it was just yeah, yeah. like that that was basically the plan he was gonna put shago hods everywhere um, yeah like he, before, he's before they stops him yeah he's even such a big villain that in this game he's the one who launches one of the nukes Oh man, that is insane! Yeah, where he just fires a nuke at a research facility because it's like, yeah, well, might as well uh, cover our tracks. Yeah, time to bomb my countrymen. Yeah, and I, I think the the cool thing with the Shagohad is the set piece moment at the end where you're on the motorcycle with Eva, and the Shagohad's chasing you, and then you have to like blow out this bridge, and of course that's not good enough, so it climbs back up, and then you have to fight it on like this launch area and like destroy Volgan, like controlling the Shagohad. With like his electric powers, it's it's crazy. I love it. Uh, you feel like a badass. I feel like a badass when I play that part of the game, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, that was probably the one area where I think the RPG did work. Um, I was saying earlier, like the RPG didn't have a lot of use um, during that chase sequence where you have not just a shadow hot, but like all those like bikes full of troops coming at you. Definitely, it was, it was just like rocket launcher. If you place it right, you can take out like two bikes in one shot. Mm-hmm. A cool little trick with that, too, I've realized is, you know, it takes a second to reload the RPG. If you unequip and re-equip, it's automatically loaded. So you can just be like, boom, yes. and then do that, and then do it again, and do it again. So, yeah, it was very effective when he did oh, like yeah. that. Apparently, that's every weapon, too. Um, I was I was doing it with all the machine guns, and it was just like, oh, because the, the M63 is like, takes so long to reload. It, it feels like forever. Um, but, yeah, if you do that trick, you say, uh, said, we just like, click, you know, right trigger, right button, then do it again, then, yeah. Easy reload. Hmm. I, I didn't know it worked on every weapon. I was just kind of like playing that section, and then I was like, man, this is taking a while, and then I did it by accident. I was like, oh, okay, this works. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking, like, if we miss anything, like anything y'all want to talk about? I mean, there's there's more, there's always more to talk about, but you can always just play, you know, tell people to play it themselves, you know? That's the thing, it's, <laughs> there's there's the whole play it your own damn self. Well, I'm saying we, we we've talked we've talked pretty much everything you know. Uh, inside, we already kind of covered the whole why boss did it right, where you know she did it, you know, to help with the uh, with America. She never turned her back, even though she was portrayed. She knew what she was doing. She was portrayed. That was kind of the giant twist. And essentially, um, at the end, right, big boss. He he gets the title of big boss at the very end because there can only be one boss, and essentially he became the next boss. Uh, essentially getting the name Bigger Boss, but he ultimately was kind of like disgusted by the end of it, leaving, leaving, um, uh, I don't want to say America, to, to form his own group, uh, which then goes on the next part of the story, right? Yeah. Uh, which at the time led into the original Metal Gear games, uh, one and two, which, you know, then leads into Metal Gear Solid. Um, but I don't know, it's, there's, there's more to it, but I would say just, play for yourself and then ugh, the you spoiled everything now but yeah, like, they're, they're, <laughs> the the entire continuity of metal gear solid is so long and drawn out and convoluted uh, we couldn't possibly cover the whole thing in like an hour and a half uh ish podcast right like I, I don't think we could no um but at the same time you know it, metal gear solid 3 is like the starting point if you play it like this is kind of where everything starts and everything else just kind of comes as a consequence of the game, a consequence of this, the actions of this game. Would you guys say, yeah. I, I've always been for saying that if you're going to play a Metal Gear Solid game, you can start, I always say you can start with three. Do you have a prefer preference for playing the Metal Gear series? Would you say still say go one, two, then three? Or would you rather, you know, or would you say, or would you 
be fine with saying you can start with three, then go to one or something. Um, I th- it kind of depends on what you're going for. Like, okay, you kind of if I was gonna say this is somebody, I would frame it like this. Like, if you want to see like how the gameplay mechanics progress through time, then play it in chrono like release order, like one, two, etc. But if you care more about seeing the story from the beginning, then play it like three Peace Walker, you know, all those in that order. You know, mm-hmm. you could start on three, in my opinion. Don't start on five though, because that the, I was oh. I will say I will say with five that I like five, but the combat is so like it's so polished. It, it's yeah. so polished and different that if you play that first and then play the other ones, it's gonna mess you up completely. Oh, I can yeah. See. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the very fact that five has a mechanic where if somebody sees you, you have like these like five ish seconds of slow motion time to react and shoot. Mm-hmm. Um. None of the other games will ever give you that. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. The Fulton balloons, all that stuff. Yeah. Well, maybe Peace Walker, but that's pretty much it. Oh, that's true. I've never played Peace Walker actually. This, this actually, that's one of those I just never got to. Yeah, they took that mechanic from uh, Peace Walker. Yeah. Um, maybe Portable Ops, but I'm not sure because I never played Portable Ops. All right, so yeah. ready, ready to wrap up, put a bow on this, Josh. Yeah, that sounds good. Uh, where can we find you, Ryan, on the interwebs? Well, thanks for having me, Josh. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at its Rocket Sauce and Instagram uh, with the same handle. Um, sometimes I am the host of the Cartridge Club, but this time I really wanted to be the guest because this is one of my favorite games of all time. So thank you, Josh, for having me on the show. <laughs> No problem. And Tim, where we can we find you on the good old interwebs? Uh, well, um, well. also, thanks you for having me. I've, this was a lot of fun. I'm really glad you guys came and invited me on for this. Well, my channel, um, I have a YouTube channel. It's called Are You Okay? H-A-R-U-O-K-A-Y that I run with my uh, co-host, Kevin McNeil. Um, by the time this podcast comes out, we should have a new video. Um, our first one in probably like eight to nine months. Um, it's going to be all about uh, fighting games, specifically Street Fighter Alpha 2. Um, so we're really excited for that. Um, but outside of that, you can find me on probably Twitter is like the most active thing. Um, and that's at okay H-A-R-U-0-K-A-Y. Cool. Thank you. Some, somebody else took the one with the O, but I've rented on that before. <laughs> I'll find them and kill them in their sleep. It happens, man. Uh, thanks for everybody. <laughs> well, we should probably uh, contact that guy and get it for you then. Oh, he only uh, has one follower. Oh, that's sure. that's the worst right there. Yeah. Like, yeah, just the avatar of a squirrel. Awesome. <laughs> squirrel. Are you the follower? No, but I'm gonna hunt down that fucking squirrel. <laughs> He'll give me the answers I need. Um, but yeah, it's been a it's, it's an honor to get asked to do this to host the show. Even though I kind of feel like I was, I, I felt like I hosted. I guess I, I felt like I was just chilling with you guys, honestly talking. But um, it's my I favorite kind of talk. Yeah, and I appreciate the Cartridge Club letting me be on here and do this because it's 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 a lot of fun. It's kind of like an honor. It feels like to be here doing this so awesome and uh you of course you can find me personally at frantic society on twitter and uh i sometimes do a podcast called frantic thoughts which 
has been spotty this year, but I will be getting back to that. And it's basically just me chilling, talking to myself. It's a one-man show. So, yeah. Also, I am a part of a Game of the Month podcast similar to the Cartridge Club. Uh, it is a PC-focused show called the Quick Save Club. And this month, we're going to be playing simulation games over there. So, if you guys want to hang out this, Dece- this December, it's bad. It's a bad pun. But... <laughs> I didn't come up with it, so you can't you can't blame me for that. But if you want to go over there and play some simulation games with us, that's what we'll be doing this December. But over in the Cartridge Club community on the Cartridge Club Main 2 podcast, we are having a Star Wars month of epicness. So over on the main Cartridge Club Prime podcast, we're going to be playing the, cart- the, cartridge- the Knights of the Old Republic for the original Xbox. And on our sister podcast... The Cartridge Club Portable Podcast, we're going to be playing Star Wars Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith. So if you're playing along with it and you want to talk about it, be sure to use the hashtag PlayAlongWithPrime on whatever social media platform you frequent regularly. Also, if you want to get a jump, a head start, head start, okay, a head start for the January's game of the month. We'll be playing Mickey Mouse in the Castle of Illusion on the Sega Genesis. Also, if you're ever interested in being a guest on the show, please reach out to us. We're always looking forward to having new community members on to talk about all the games that they love. To those of you interested in supporting Club Beyond a Review on the podcast app of your choice, I'd like to again mention that the club is entirely funded by pledges made from members of our community. We are extremely grateful to those supporters. And if you're interested in becoming one of them, please look into how you can do that at patreon.com slash cartridge club. And for me, Ryan, and Tin, thank you for listening to the show. And we look forward to hearing from you next month. CC Unite. Silence through the night What a thrill I'm searching and I'll melt into you What a fear in my heart But you're so supreme I give my
Snake. Snake. Snake! Oh, it's beautiful.